0: Morning church. Happy Sunday to everybody. My name is John. We are in the book of Colossians this summer. The name of our sermon series is called Greater Than and we are looking at the book of Colossians and realizing that Paul's central message, Paul's aim, Paul's desire is that the church in Colossae And we can learn from that as well is that Jesus Christ is greater than anything that we could put our hope, our trust, our faith in in this world. That Christ is is sufficient and that Christ is supreme. And we get a heavy dose of that this morning in the passage that we're going to look at. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 this morning. Let me offer just a couple introductory remarks before um, I read it this morning. So if you've been here or following along, uh, we started off with some introductory remarks that Paul made where he is saying everything that he is thankful for in the holy people of God that are in Colossae, the church in Colossae. He's thankful for their their faith and their hope and their love for, for each other. And then Paul moves to a prayer he, he offers a prayer, the, what he's praying for the church in Colossae. If you are here last week, we identified the, the aim, the goal of uh, the Christian life, and then the pieces that make up that goal, that we would live lives pleasing to the Lord, right? Well, today, Paul is wrapping up his introductory remarks, and we get to verse 15 and 20, and as we read it this morning, and if you look at it uh, with a kind of a new set of eyes, it's actually written in a poetic form the original way that these verses were written are actually a poem some some scholars will tell you it's it's actually a hymn it's a song so it's as if paul was was moved by god to be thankful and he's moved by god to share what he's he's praying for and he 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 offers this this prayer of his hope for the, the church in Colossae, and then it's almost like he's kind of overcome or overwhelmed, and he, and he moves into to song. It's a, it's a poem, a, a song that he is offering uh, for the church in Colossae. It's most likely that as this letter was written, or as this letter was read in that church, uh, probably over and over again to encourage the people there, that the people actually might have been moved to sing these, this portion of the letter together that it would have been a song they would sung or the person reading the letter would have moved from reading to actually singing. So I'm going to sing the text. This, everybody's eyes just went up and looked at me. Gotcha. Not going to sing. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Everybody that was looking down went <laughs> like, oh please no, right? I am not going to sing it this morning. I'm going to read it this morning. It will be much more enjoyable for everyone in the room. Let's pick it up. Uh, Colossians 1, verse 15 through 20. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. Through his blood shed on the cross. So we can see here the the central theme of Paul's poem, the, the central thing that Paul is trying to convey through these five verses is that Jesus is supreme. He was there in the beginning, He's there at the end, He's holding all things together. He has all authority, he has all power over rulers and thrones, and he, he, has, um, he has creative authority, right? He's there creating and he's sustaining. He is supreme, he is sufficient. This poem, these five verses in this letter are all about the supremacy of Jesus. That is, that's Paul's aim here in this section, is that when the Colossae believers would read these verses and read what he is, is written here, that they would be reminded and remember that Christ is sufficient and he is supreme. And I believe that that's what we are to learn this morning as well. As we open this text and we read the scripture this morning, that we will be reminded, overcome by the supremacy of Jesus. That's what is going on with this passage for us this morning. As we look at the, the passage and we, we're going to go through it here, we're going to kind of walk through it a little bit, we need to talk about something that, that's going on in Colossae that we haven't yet talked about. Did any of you spend any time on the, the website that, we, that I gave you in the first week, right? We have this website where we have some, some uh, resources and stuff that help you kind of understand what's going on and the context, the culture. Anybody go there? A couple heads nodding, a couple hands raised. All right, good. All right. Um, if you read any of those things, you'll see that one of the, the things that's addressed kind of right out at the beginning is something called the, the Colossian heresy. So scholars have identified that there's something going on in Colossae, in the church, with the holy people of God there that is uh, not good. <laughs> and we need to be honest with ourselves that Paul is writing to this church with some urgency. Offering some instruction, some correction, and some encouragement to this body of believers because there's something going on or some things going on that are infiltrating the church. Some her- her- heresy, some, some stuff that's not of God, some stuff that's not uh, true about God and about Jesus. And we don't know exactly like pinpointed what those things are. There's like arguments and debates. There's actually books written uh, refuting, you know, scholars. They like to argue, right, and, and prove their point and that kind of thing. There's a lot of that going on around the idea of this, this heresy. Like what's the heresy that's going on? But all most will agree that it has to do with syncretism. There's, syncretism is this idea that you might hold one central belief. Like for those people, it was this idea that Jesus is – is number one, but then you would add to that some additional beliefs. So you're you're adding like in Colossae, it may have been um, that they would grab some like Jewish mysticism and they would add that. Like Jesus is number one, but I'm going to add some Jewish mysticism or some some Gnostic thinking, and beliefs, or um, the idea that there's multiple gods, and that Jesus is, is a God, and he's supreme, but there's also other gods, and maybe I should pray to them as well. So there's this mixing going on, this idea uh, infiltrating the church in Colossae, that there's outside um, teachings and, and heresy going on. So let me I, identify what some of those things that they may have been pulling in um, to their central belief, that they were syncretizing with their central belief. The first one is that God didn't create the world. That God didn't create the world, but he actually created lesser beings that went on to create things. This was a a type of philosophy that was present in that day and age. And so if if Jesus, Jesus would be in this long line of created beings from God, that God didn't actually create the world because he was perfect and holy and the created world is not we'll get to that here in a second and so that there's there's other beings that were were creating the world right that's the first heresy that was likely floating around and infiltrating the church the second one is that each believer had a personal and and unique and spiritual knowledge that came from God and that whatever that unique special knowledge that came from God for that person, like that was the goal. Like that's what they were seeking is a special knowledge from God for them. That that was, that was more important. Like that, that meant more than what the, the scripture was teaching them. And that meant more than what was being taught in the church and, and more than Paul's instruction that we were like supposed to seek kind of this special and unique divine knowledge. The third thing was that salvation comes from this special enlightenment, that it doesn't come from Jesus or Jesus alone. All right? That it's not about repentance from sin, but it's about seeking and uh, providing, uh, God providing this kind of special knowledge and um, revelation. The fourth fourth thing is that the material world is evil. It's not created good, and it's not to be redeemed. That the, the world is, like I said, God is perfect and holy. He, created, he couldn't create something that wasn't holy, and so the, the world must be corrupt and awful. It's, it's evil. It cannot be redeemed. So Paul, in this section of Scripture, is, he's overwhelmed by the supremacy of Christ, and he wants to convey to this church that Jesus is supreme. In the midst of everything that they're wrestling with and these heresies that are infiltrating them, he wants to teach and show that Jesus is supreme. If we break that down, we actually can see that there's four main things that Paul wants to convey about the supremacy of Christ. We'll go through those four things this morning. The first one is this, that Jesus is the image of God and all the fullness of God dwells in him. Jesus is the image of God, and all the fullness of God dwells in him. What does this mean? Let's look at some other verses that help us understand what Paul is saying here. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word, after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Colossians two verse nine. So a little bit further along in the letter, Paul writes this: "For Christ, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's God." What Paul is clearly trying to state here, what, what Paul is saying when, he, when he's talking about Jesus here is he's saying that Jesus is God. He's not an additional God that we add in. He's not a demigod. He's not a created God. He's not one of many gods. He is God. And that can lead us to ask a bunch of questions right here. Like, what does that look like? How does like we've, like is the Trinity? How does that work? Like, there's one God, but then it's, there's many parts to it. And we could talk about the kenosis, right? This the, the emptying, Jesus emptying himself of his divine privilege and submitting himself to the Father. We could talk about the hypostatic union. How does, how does Jesus work as fully God and fully man? Like, what does that look like? And those are all good and interesting things to talk about, but I don't think that that's what Paul is laying out here. I, I don't think that Paul wants us to go down that path. I think Paul wants... To recognize this. He's overcome writing this poem or this song by who Jesus is and and wanting to urgently communicate to the church in Colossae that he wants to convey that Jesus is God. He always has been and he always will be. Jesus is God. He always has been and he always will be. Paul is reminding the church in Colossae, and more than that, he's, he's reminding them not only that he is God and that he always will be God, but that if we want to understand God, if we want to know what God is like, we can look to Jesus, that God is invisible. We don't have a, a full picture and understanding of what God is like, but we, we can because we, we can look to Jesus that Jesus is the exact representation he is the image of God. So if we're confused, we have hazy notions about what God is like, his character, we can look to Jesus. We can look at what Jesus did, how Jesus lived, and we can we can understand more about who God is, creator and redeemer that he is merciful and loving we look at how how Jesus interacted in the world, and we we look at the words that Jesus said to people, and we look at the things that Jesus was concerned about, that we can understand more about who God is because of Jesus. That's what Paul is conveying here. Second thing, so I, I said there's four, so that's one. Number two is that Jesus created everything, seen and unseen, earthly and heavenly, No one and no thing is more powerful than him. So Jesus created everything. This is Paul going after some of the thinking around the church, right, about how things were created. Paul is saying really clearly that Jesus is the creator, creator of everything, seen and unseen, earthly and heavenly. There's nothing that was outside or created outside of Jesus, Jesus is, yeah, Paul uses the term firstborn over all creation, firstborn over all creation. We, what we need to do, and we hear that, and we, we hear that word immediately in our minds, right? We go to order, like he was created first, and that's not what this term is being used for. This is not describing an order, this is describing a status, that Jesus is the firstborn is, a, is a, a word about his status. Not about his created order. He is, when Paul uses that term, we're to understand that as that he is all, has all authority. Firstborn over all creation. That he has all authority. He is supreme. All things were created, Paul says, in him and through him and for him. Everything we experience... Visible and invisible, everything in the cosmos, everything in this world, in this universe, however you want to use the term, is, is created in him and through him and for him. So Jesus has all authority, creative authority, sustaining authority. Are you tracking with me? All right. Paul's point is that we would acknowledge and celebrate this. That Jesus has power and majesty over all things. So when it feels like the world is spinning out of control, we can know that it's not. That Jesus is holding all things together. You remember that song when you were a kid? He's got the what? The whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world. He's, He's holding, creating containing sustaining everything yeah amen right we're not just on a globe spinning out of control with nobody taking care of us right Like Jesus is he knows he's holding it all together what does this mean for us what what does this mean this this gives us hope right this gives us so much hope Christ is supreme over everything. He's supreme. He's sufficient. There's nothing else that we should put our hope in. We can have hope in Christ alone. It's a good word for us. It was a good word for the the church in Colossae that they, they shouldn't put their hope in anything else. Like none of these other ideas that people are telling them are important. Like don't put your hope in any of those things. Or don't put your hope in Rome. Remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. Don't put your hope in Rome. Rome's not going to save you. Put your hope in Jesus. It's a good word for us today. Don't, don't put your hope in a pol- political figure or government or something out. Like put your hope in Jesus. He, he is supreme. He is sufficient. He knows you. He loves you. He's holding all things together. He's created you. He's created everything that we interact with, right? That's what Paul is doing here. All right, third thing. Paul goes... And talks about the church. Christ is head of the church. So Christ is supreme overall. And the most direct and the most visible way to see that and experience that is in the church. Christ is the head of the church. So there's lots of words and ideas and concepts that are used in scripture to to describe the people of god to describe the church there's words like the bride there's words like a family or a kingdom a flock of sheep a people all these things are used to describe the holy people of god the church but i think paul's metaphor here is the most powerful one he is saying that Christ, that that uh, Christ is the head of a body. He's using the metaphor of a, as a body. So when he, when he says head, that Christ is the head, it's not like CEO or president. He's talking about a head. Christ is the head of the body. Without a head, a body is completely and totally useless. Like just like in a really like elementary sense. Like imagine yourself without a head. Right? Like it's fun. You can laugh. Like, you don't do anything. Like, nothing works, right? We don't move, we don't talk, we, nothing. The head is what gives the body meaning and life and purpose. This is what, this is the metaphor that Paul uses in this moment to describe to the church that Christ is to be your head, that Christ is the head of the church, he gives the church life and direction and meaning and purpose. He, he energizes us as believers. He helps us care for one another and live for each other. He, he, he empowers our, our gifts so that we can use our gifts to serve Him. Christ is the head of the church. And just as our bodies are the vehicle by which we express ourselves to the world. For Christ, the the vehicle, the body he uses to express himself to the world is the church. Christ is the head. He gives meaning and life to the body that is the church. This brings up some questions. Some real questions here for, for our local body. Who? Is our head? Who is the head of this body? Is it Jesus? Who do we listen to? Do we listen to Jesus? Who is directing us? Who's guiding us? Who's inspiring us? Who who are we chasing after? Who are we listening to, following? Is Is it Jesus or something else? Who are we honoring in our worship, in our gatherings? Is it Jesus? Who is the head of GEBC? Who's the head of our church? And church, I can tell you right now that we are not perfect as a church, right? We are not a perfect body, always representing Jesus well in everything that we do as a body. We make mistakes, we say the wrong thing, we treat each other poorly, right? That happens. As a leader here in the church, I can tell you that we are not perfect as a body. But I can tell you with full confidence of every part of my being that we have Jesus as the head of our church. We are seeking Jesus. We are following Jesus. We are trying to be filled with Jesus. We want to honor Jesus. On the Welcome Center, there's a big word People come in and it says, welcome. And then underneath it, there's a phrase. Does anybody know what that phrase is? Come on. First service bombed this so bad. It was really embarrassing. What does it say? Helping people follow Jesus. Helping people follow Jesus. That's our aim. That's our mission. Jesus is the head. We want people to follow Jesus. Like, don't follow me. Don't follow Kelly. Don't follow anything. Follow Jesus. We're help. We're going to try to help you do that. We're going to help you do that. But Jesus is the, the head. Everything we do is honoring and glorifying to him. If you're a guest this morning, that's what we're about here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, right? Like, we're not... We're not great and perfect at everything. Like we sometimes we don't really know what's written on our walls. <laughs> but we are trying desperately holding on to Jesus. Be inspired by him, filled with him. Jesus. All right? Jesus. Fourth thing. God's plan was to reconcile all things through Christ through Jesus' death on the cross. Salvation and reconciliation come through Jesus and Jesus alone. Colossians 1 verse 20, it says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So verse 16 tells us that God created all things through Jesus And then verse 20 tells us that he's going to reconcile all things through the blood of Jesus. So here again, Paul is standing down some of these these heresies that were surrounding the church. That Jesus' blood wasn't enough. That the, the created world is not to be reconciled. Right? He's saying that through Jesus and Jesus alone, God will reconcile things. We need to we need to spend a, a bit of time here with this word, all things, with this phrase, all things. So Paul is saying that, that Christ is it, like Christ is sufficient through his blood, like real blood shed, re, blood shed to pay the penalty for our sin. Like through that, God is reconciling us to God, like we can have peace, but he's reconciling all things as well. Now, people have used this, this phrase, all things, to make the point or a case for, for something called universalism, right? Where, where every single thing, whether you know Jesus or not, you will be reconciled to God. Like, nobody will spend eternity in hell. And church, I can tell you that that's not what is being said here, that that's not a biblical concept or idea, that the the weight of Scripture would tell you something very different, that only those that know, love, and follow Jesus will be saved. So Paul isn't using this to say, to argue for universalism, He's, he's using it to do something different. People will actually say, well, Paul is just using this as a poetic kind of a poetic line that goes through these five verses. If you read the five verses, right, he says all things, all things, all things, all things. He says it five times. So maybe this is just a poetic expression. I don't think that's really the case. That's interesting, but I don't think that's the case either. I think Paul is talking about all things here because he wants to continue to to say to the people that that Jesus is supreme. Like all things are under him and will be reconciled to him. Oftentimes we, we take Jesus and we, and we say things like he lives in our what? Our heart, right? I think that's some of what Paul is, is, is talking about here, that this isn't just about us and our peace and reconciliation with God, that That we can take Jesus and we can put him in our heart. We take Jesus out of the universe and we put him in our hearts. I think Paul wants to convey here that that Jesus is bigger and grander. And and it's not just about you and your salvation. It's not just about you and your individual relationship with God through Jesus. That there's, there's more going on here than that. If you spend any time walking through this world, you know... That it's broken, right? It's broken. It's not how it should be. It's not what God initially created. It's been twisted and warped, right? Perversions of all kinds have come into, like things are broken. Like cancer is bad, right? Like things are awful at times in this world. As much beauty as we can see in creation, there's a lot that is not right. And all of that falls under the authority and reign of Jesus, he's going to make all things new. He's going to reconcile all things. In Romans, it talks a little bit more about this. I'm not, you don't have to put the verse up, Jen. I'll just summarize because we're running out of time here. But uh, Paul talks about that uh, the, all creation is groaning. All creation is groaning that it's being held in bondage of decay. Not talking about people. He's talking about the world being held in in bondage and decay. Jesus will make all things new. He will reconcile everything. Not Not just us, making us right with God, but making everything right with God. For the church in Colossae, that would give them an incredible hope, right? Like the world they're living in is is broken and they're being infiltrated and it's like, no, Jesus, will, Jesus is going to make all this right. Like Jesus is going to fix all this. We can be reconciled through his blood and all things will, will be made <clears throat> right. God began with all creation. Gather, he, he began with all creation as his. And he will end with all creation reconciled back to him. Amen? Let me pray for us this morning. God, you're good. We thank you for the letter of Colossians this morning. We thank you for Paul's ability and Paul's wisdom and the courage that he has here to to share about Jesus, that Jesus is sufficient, Jesus is supreme. God, I pray that your word will have penetrated uh, the hearts and minds in the room today, that we'll be reminded, I need to be reminded of how good, how powerful, how supreme, and how sufficient you are. I pray that I will, and the people in this room, will put our hope and trust in Jesus alone. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.